Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. Feeling any better today, Eugene? Why, yes, thank you for asking, Adam. When I woke this morning, I even felt like busting out, thank you, back potato. Ow. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Friday the 24th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. We bring you the daily updates, discuss some of the stranger aspects of lockdown life, and then focus on one particular thing. So, Eva Vanzac Day, the time when we remember the sacrifice of generations past and present. And of course, the Defence Force has played a significant role in helping during the COVID-19 crisis, with planners and logistics experts helping out. Others are managing isolation facilities. And then there's relief flights that the Air Force has been flying to the Pacific Islands. Actually, if you listen closely during today's show, you may just be able to hear one of those as the Air Force continues to relentlessly fly near Eugene's house whenever we hit record. Yeah, it turns out there's only so much you can do with noise cancelling software. Later, we speak with Nicky McDonald, who helps us get all nostalgic about the way we were back during lockdown. Remember then? And bring some important facts to the table, like just how much beer did we drink? But first, what's happened today? A 10th Rosewood Rest Home resident, a man in his 60s, has died, bringing the country's COVID-19 death toll to 17. Officials are still trying to figure out how the virus was introduced to the Christchurch Rest Home. At the same press conference, we learned that New Zealand has five new cases today. Remember the $10.3 billion that the government has given for wage subsidies? Well, $17.5 million of that uh, is going back right where it came from. Um, and that's from 1,200 different companies. It's mostly money that companies are voluntarily handing back because they now realise they claimed it in error. But there's also an audit underway to see if there's been any abuse of the system. And an antiviral drug cited by President Donald Trump as a promising treatment of COVID-19 has failed to show any benefit in its first full trial. Podcasts. As you may know, you're listening to one right now. But here's something you may not know. There are other podcasts. In fact, there are literally a million podcasts in the world right now. I love them. You love them, Adam. But how the hell do you decide what to listen to once you've finished listening to the entire catalogue of Coronavirus NZ, of course? Katie Atkin is a senior content producer for Stuff. She's also a podcast fanatic. She does regular reviews of the latest and greatest pods for Stuff and also for Jesse Mulligan on RNZ. Katie, hello. Hi there. Tell us, lockdown, how are you going? We're in week 400. Um, uh, how are you coping? It's a bit of a roller coaster. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I think the first couple of weeks we're quite anxious about cleanliness and washing hands and um, just, you know, sniffles and waiting to see if any, any of us had it. And then now this last couple of weeks, I think we're a bit more kind of chilled about the cleanliness side and are just trying to follow the rules a bit and not let the kids run wild. <laughs> and now we've got homeschooling as well. So that's a new complexity. I think with homeschooling, once you get to age twelve, you're, um, you know, that's that's where the maths at school starts to test your own memory of how the hell the hypotenuse works and stuff. How how are you coping? I've been tested by the maths at school from about eight, I think. <laughs> and so the reason we've got you on mm-hmm. is because you are a, a podcast um, expert. Uh, so tell us, what should our listeners go and download after they've finished listening to this episode? 
Well, I would um, definitely advocate for a good mix of kind of finding out information about the world, but also completely distracting yourself from the world because I feel like that's the emotional state of lots of us. Um, the first one uh, I would recommend is Staying In with Emily and Kumail. And this is a kind of comedy banter podcast with Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily V. Gordon, who are the actor and writer of the movie The Big Sick. And um, right. Kumail's also been in lots of TV shows like Silicon Valley. And th- this is a podcast devoted to what it's like to stay in and how to cope with working at home and missing all the things that you like. Got some really good guests that come on. Like recently they've had uh, David Chang who's from Netflix Ugly Delicious. He's a restaurateur. Talks about how hospitality is going to be affected. And he's also had Tan France from Queer Eye talking about what you should be wearing in your Zoom calls. Um, <laughs> but it's it, it's a really good mix of kind of them giving you quite, quite good advice. Emily used to be a counsellor and um, couples counsellor and Camille's hilarious. Uh, so it, it's a combo of kind of expert banter and some advice and then the last kind of half of the podcast is them recommending things that they're watching listening to games that they're playing uh, video games they're playing so it's a really good mix of kind of just how to how to get on and cope while you're at home together Emily's immune compromised so she's kind of quite good at quarantine and she's had to be in and out of quarantine most of her life so she so she's quite so she's got some good tips on how to amuse yourself (laughs) right so podcast number two um, this one's called Rabbit Hole. It's from the New York Times. It's pretty new. It's their kind of look into what the internet means and what it's kind of doing to us. It's presented by their tech columnist, Kevin Roos, who's kind of had this idea that every time he writes a column about the internet, he's just really talking about one piece of a huge elephant. So what he's kind of saying is it's not just where we learn. The internet isn't just kind of, you know, the kind of proverbial town square that we used to all just hang out and it's now influencing us and what he is looking at is people who have been radicalised really by the internet so there's only been one episode so far but it was really awesome and it's produced by the same people who produced the New York Times One Caliphate so it's really clever Ah. it's six parts in total the next one's due to drop this weekend so you could probably listen to a couple this weekend I haven't listened to it myself, but a friend who did mention last night that Christchurch comes yeah, up. Yeah, in the trailer shooting. they talk about the the Christchurch um, shooting and the mosque shooting and how that, in particular, how that person used the internet and how they potentially were radicalised and, and, and had followers watching what he was doing. So, yeah, it, it, right. it definitely that they use that as an example of something that was obviously really heavily publicised. But the the whole kind of podcast came about, about from a, an article that Kevin wrote about the making of a new YouTube radical where he actually wrote a big interactive. Mm, I remember that story. Yeah, so that's yeah. he. So that well, that's what forms the first episode. So I, I think there'll be more to follow with that. And I've I've actually really enjoyed listening. I've actually listened to that one twice already because I'm desperate for another episode. <laughs> Just slightly off podcast here, but Eugene's too modest to mention that a very good companion piece to this would be Infinite Evil, which was a uh, standalone documentary from our own stuff circuit. Yeah, I, I've actually actually listened to the first episode. I definitely could you know draw some parallels to the stuff that you guys had already done with, with Stuff Circuit. Podcast three, three through five. Okay, so these ones are just nice little snackable ones. This one's called Nothing Much Happens and it's basically bedtime stories for grown-ups. So lots of people I know have had problems sleeping during this pandemic. This is literally a lady reading original stories where nothing really happens and in the second reading of it, she reads it slower to put you into a bed of coziness and go to sleep. <laughs> and you're going to oh, laugh, brilliant. but honestly, it is brilliant. Um 
The next one is called Daily Boys. And I've listened to this one's been out for a couple of years. And I've actually listened to this over the couple of years. It's two Jewish guys who review Jewish dailies. And Dave Phillips is one of the writers uh, for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's one of the presenters. And Evan Schuzer is a screenwriter. And they basically realised there was 14 dailies in LA. And they were going to review them all. And they basically have kept going because there's more dailies now. Um, It reminds you what it's like to go and buy food in a shop. Um, And then the last one is called Nasty. NASA's Curious Universe. This one can be family podcast because there's nothing too crazy in it, but it's NASA astronauts and scientists as your tour guide through kind of like Earth and space. And they're about 20 minutes long, so really easy to listen to and really fascinating about satellites, how we've mapped the Earth, how the Hubble Space Telescope um, was able to surprise us all with these amazing pictures. And yeah, it's just definitely one to get you out of your bubble and let you realise that there's, there's a big world out there. Right, so a quick recap if somebody's reaching for a pen and paper. Those podcasts were Staying In With Emily and Kamel, The Rabbit Hole, Nothing Much Happens, Daily Boys, and NASA's Curious Universe. Thanks very much, Katie Atkin. Thank you. Contact tracing. Seems to be a potential Achilles heel, really, as we move out of lockdown. Remember the other day we spoke to staff reporter Thomas Manch, about the contact tracing order that was done by Dr. Aisha Verrill. She was pretty critical about the fact that when the outbreak started, our capacity for contact tracing had been only around 100 cases a day. She went on to say that the country needed to hugely boost our capacity up to like more like 1,000 cases a day. And she said that's what we needed to prevent a future outbreak from running rampant. So reporter Thomas Manch then asked the government how we were tracking. You know, what's our capacity now? And he got an answer. They said we could handle 185 new cases a day. When I saw that number, I was, I was gobsmacked, really. I just didn't sound good. So just now I, I rang Thomas, I even got my notebook out, to ask him what that 185 figure means. And he told me this number is how many new cases the regional public health units can handle each day. And he agreed that is a far cry from the 1,000 a day recommended by Dr. Verrill. There is also the National Call Centre, which supports the regional teams, and they can trace the contacts of maybe 500 cases a day, all going well. So add it all up, and how far away are we from that 1,000 case capacity? Well, last Sunday, Ashley Bloomfield said we'd have a gold standard contact tracing system up by the end of the week. But yesterday at the press conference, he seemed to be saying that the gold standard capacity we need is still weeks away. So I asked Thomas what that means, and he put it really bluntly. He said... If a major outbreak occurs after we leave lockdown, we may not have a system that can adequately investigate an explosion in cases and trace their contacts. Really interesting tweet I saw yesterday. It's from a guy, Dr Chris Pointer, from Auckland Hospital's Critical Care Department. He's talking about what it's like to get ready for a blitzkrieg which doesn't arrive. So this is what the tweet says. I'm very pleased with New Zealand's effort in squashing the curve, but here in ICU, we have a feeling of unrequited stress. It is strange standing in the trenches, preparing hard for battle, with no sign of the fight, and uncertain whether it will ever arrive. Any others feeling like this? He got some really interesting replies, including this from a colleague down south. I definitely feel this. It's most eerie, like something I've never experienced. Stress without the stressor. Another said, a form of survivor guilt. We may not yet have had our day. And then he got this from a critical care doctor in the UK, in Liverpool actually. Yes, bizarrely it gets better when you start getting busier. Dealing with the infinite unknowns is much more stressful than dealing with the knowns. But as one other person put it in the replies, same feeling, but would much rather have this than the alternative. What's in the email inbox, Adam? 
Well, a couple of emails here about yesterday's interview with Luke Melpas, where uh, he and we were talking about the differences between Australia and New Zealand's COVID responses. So Philip Walsh emails to point out that even though the two countries' case rates and death rates are very similar on a per capita basis, that's not necessarily true of the figures around hospitalisation, and he reckons we should have mentioned those. Good point, and it's something that New Zealand public health experts like Sir David Skegg and Professor Nick Wilson have been saying hospitalizations are a really important benchmark for how the disease is affecting a country. Nick Wilson has said, focus on the hospitalization, and that tells you things are a lot worse in Australia. Skeg was talking about this 10 days ago, and he pointed out then that Australia had five times the hospitalization rate of New Zealand. And the other email about the interview with Luke raises a really interesting idea I'd not heard before. It's from Anne Williams, and she writes, I wonder if the silver lining of the bushfires was that they significantly cut the number of international visitors to Australia at a crucial time, curbed much domestic travel, and kept people inside in several of the bigger cities to avoid the smoke air pollution. Hmm. I I haven't looked at the timeline to see if that makes sense, but that's a really intriguing idea. It's an interesting theory, yeah. Also in the email inbox, regular listeners will know that we've been inviting Kiwi listeners outside New Zealand to flick us a quick voice memo saying where they are and how it's going and whichever country they're in. The good news is that quite a few people have done precisely what we asked. The bad news is that our production team is uh, small and our organisation skills are of variable quality. So we've fallen a bit behind in actually playing the damn thing. So anyway, I was looking down the back of the sofa earlier today and found a voice memo that came a whole 13 days ago. It's from Pablo San Salvador. And when I listened to it, I realised it had kind of passed its shelf life. Then I thought, no, this is kind of interesting. So here's the memo that Pablo sent us on the virus pod at stuff.co.nz email. Hey guys, my name is Pablo San Salvador. I'm a Kiwi who's currently living in Cardiff, Wales. And uh, in 24 hours, I'm making my way to Heathrow Airport to fly down to Auckland. Um, Yeah, just listen to your podcast with the Prime Minister. Really uplifting, um, proud of how New Zealand's handling the the challenge and just thought I'd reach out and say hi and looking forward to coming down under. Obviously a little disappointed that I didn't manage to get there before the government controlled uh, self-quarantine, but yeah, just came to terms that it's just going to be a character building experience. Yeah, hopefully the food isn't too bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks a lot for the podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh and thank you for that I can come back into the country. Lucky to have my New Zealand passport on me. Yeah, it's a good place to be, I imagine. So sit tight, Kiwis, and uh, looking forward to seeing you down under. Take care. Bye-bye. So, yeah, 30 days ago, I guess Pablo really should be down here by now. Welcome home, Pablo. But the thing I want to know now is this. How did that last-minute flight from Cardiff to Auckland go? I mean, what's it like? to fly across the world just as the international transport system is crumbling and everyone's freaking out. So Pablo, if you're still a listener to Coronavirus NZ, let us know. Flick us a quick email to tell us how the flight went, how your self-isolation has gone and how it feels to be back in New Zealand. We promise we'll get to it a bit faster than your first email. Right, the plague playlist. We've got another goodie for you today, but before we get to that, some plague playlist related news from the New York Times. Apparently several American hospitals have put together their own plague playlists, which they use to celebrate positive milestones. Some of the hospitals play these songs when a patient is discharged. Others use it to let everyone know that someone's just recovered enough to move off a ventilator. Anyway, here's a few of the songs you might hear blaring down the corridors of American hospitals. Here comes The Sun from The Beatles. Very uplifting. Don't Stop Believin' by Journey. And Beautiful Day by U2. Best of all, the theme from Rocky. 
Wonderful. But today for our Plague Playlist, we're going with a suggestion from Heather Hendrickson. She's the scientist we had on the show almost four weeks ago explaining how viruses work. Anyway, she wants us to play this lockdown reworking of Tone and Eyes, Dance Monkey. So here it is. They say I am gonna have to stay inside. Social distancing has made me lose my mind. You know I can't tell a lie and say I'm fine. My anxiety is up like my screen time. So that's from Kelsey Walsh. And the really impressive thing is that all the instruments she's playing are homemade or things that you'd find inside during lockdown. Like she's shaking a can of nuts and thumping a box of wet wipes. Very resourceful. If you're of a certain age, I am, and Adam, you're older than me, so you'll certainly remember, you'll know what I mean when I talk about Carlos days. It was a time in the 70s, the 70s, during the oil crisis when Kiwis had to nominate a day each when they wouldn't use their car. There was even a sticker you had to put on the windshield, so it might say Tuesday, and that meant you couldn't roll around in your Morris Minor or your Datsun Sunny or whatever it was on a Tuesday. Seems weird, right? And when you try and explain it to your kids, they go, whatever, that's just too strange to be true. That's kind of what we're living through now. In years to come, we'll tell our grandkids, hey, there was this time when we all had to stay home for four weeks. Yeah, and of course, we've done things a little bit like this in the past. At the very beginning of the lockdown, I was talking to my mum and she said, oh, well, you know, 1948, we did that. We went home for four months. It was a polio epidemic. These weird, unnatural times come around from time to time. So Nikki McDonald is a stuff journalist in Wellington, and she's done this piece which really captures what this lockdown has been by the numbers. What she's gathered together is like the evidence that we're going to need to cite to convince our grandkids, no, really, this did happen. So, Nikki, welcome. Thank you. I'd just like to clarify at this point that I do not remember Carlos days. What a burn. <laughs> what a burn. Hey, for starters, you've had a hell of a lockdown. I mean, you know, the cook straight tried to eat your house. That's right. Yes, we've had a little bit more drama in our lockdown than I would have preferred. It started with my partner losing um, his job, one of the many people, obviously, who have lost their job in the course of this crisis. And then uh, last week, yes, we had a very unexpected visit from the Cook Strait, which basically meant we had kind of six metre waves that just built and built and ended up at our front door. And it was pretty scary. And yeah, actually caused some quite serious damage in some of the houses in the bay. Yeah, it was actually a really interesting time in terms of trying to balance an immediate threat and try to also be responsible about staying in your bubble. And I have to confess, Mm. sorry, Jacinda, that there were quite a few bubbles burst that day. Yeah. Where are you in Wellington? We live in a ferry bay, which is on the south coast. So literally kind of looking straight out onto Cook Strait. And that does make us vulnerable to those southerly swells. But what was really bizarre was that there was no storm that came alongside it. So it just literally came out of nowhere on this amazing blue sky day. Wow. You've done this piece which really does bring together the, the, the COVID crisis by the numbers, really. So let's just step through some of them. And maybe we could start with health. What did you find out? Yeah, so I mean, the interesting thing about health is that obviously since the sort of beginning of the crisis, everybody's been talking about preparing in the health system and looking at ventilator numbers, kind of flexing up intensive care beds in order to be ready. But the weird thing about the lockdown situation is that actually the health system has now found itself a lot less busy than it would normally be 
at this time of year. I mean, I looked at Wellington Hospital just as a snapshot and they're running at about 65% bed occupancy compared to obviously this is normally the sort of the start of the flu season. And so they'd normally be running at about 95% occupancy or even higher in their emergency department. That's dropped by half in terms of, of patient numbers. And I imagine that's probably reflected around the country. You know, some of that when you think about kinds of things that pre- present to emergency departments, a lot of that will be alcohol-related or traffic accidents or kind of sporting injuries. And of course, none of those things are happening in the lockdown scenario. Yeah, personally, I've given up my rugby regular meetups and I've totally stopped bar brawling. So I, I can understand those numbers. <laughs> Exactly. So there are just obviously lots of, of atoms out there in the world. It's weird. It hadn't occurred to me that GPs, for instance, would be down by 50%. I don't know why I thought that they'd be busy, but of course it makes sense because everyone's staying home and not going in and they've had to do these weird video consults, haven't they? Mm, and they're in a really difficult position because that obviously has a massive impact on their financials as well because all the sort of funding system is built around people going in for consultations and then paying their co-payment and because they're no longer doing that, suddenly GPs are missing this massive funding stream. So that's causing really big problems as well. Yeah. What about arrivals and accommodation? What what did you find there? Probably no surprises there, given that tourism has taken a massive hit, you know, even from the beginning of the year, really, when coronavirus started to emerge around the world and people started to think twice about travelling. But obviously, the lockdown itself has massively increased that impact. So in the first week of the lockdown, there were 5,490 international arrivals in New Zealand, and that compares with 70,000 in the same time the previous year. So obviously a massive drop off. When you look at somewhere like Wellington Airport, there you can see the impact of both the domestic and international flights just really completely dropping off to almost nothing. They normally have about 1,600 flights a week and now they're running at about 100. So just massive impact there. Would you normally see the planes coming in to the Wellington Airport from your place? Yeah, we do. It depends on where the wind direction's coming from. But the hilarious thing was, I do remember in the first week of lockdown, seeing a plane going over and thinking, hey, what are they doing there? (laughs) You know, you get back, go go back home. Yeah, because without even realising, you've become accustomed to not having them flying over. Yeah. Uh, There was one number that jumped out from the piece that I thought was interesting, the boom in seed buying. That was, I think, the one number that just, I think I got an email and I turned around to my partner and said, wow, you know, this is just crazy. And so that was the King's Seeds, which is a, you know, a seed company. And they reported that, you know, just in the first week of the lockdown, that they sold sort of 77,000 like packets of seeds compared with three and a half thousand the previous year. So you think, oh, what a weird thing for people to be buying lockdown. And the reason I asked the question was I happened to see in a Facebook garden swap kind of group that I'm a member of that someone had said, oh, yeah, I've been trying to get seeds, but, you know, they've they've sold out. So that's why I asked the question. Sure, I'm sure it's partly that some people aren't able to work from home, so they have time to be out in the garden. But I think it's also the woman that I talked to in the story, you know, I think there's a degree of kind of gardening being therapy as a kind of a mental health thing for people who have either lost their jobs or are just trying to keep themselves busy at home. But also, I mean, she mentioned the kind of, she runs 
um, a community um, garden and they have a Facebook group and that lots of people were asking to join uh, because they wanted to learn how to garden or they were thinking about self-sufficiency. And so I think that's probably just, that's a mentality thing that that it's made people think about. Yeah, there were some very entertaining comments on the, the bottom of the stuff story with people pointing out that if you are planting to feed yourself through the zombie apocalypse, the month lockdown that we were looking at at that point really isn't long enough <laughs> to, grow, to grow enough potatoes to become self-sufficient. So it, it really makes no sense. And we just hadn't got around to planting our winter garden. So in a slight panic, my wife Suzanne ordered some online to arrive. She, I think it was like two days or something before the lockdown. Well, of course, they sat in a courier depot for a number of days, eventually turned up in week three, bedraggled, dead plants, soil all over the place. It was a total shambles anyway. Um, booze. Booze. Yes. Isn't it fascinating? <laughs> I can't quite get my head around this one. But yes, so we spent $20 million on beer in um, the first week of lockdown, and that was 90% up on 2019. Um, so I don't know whether it's because people have to drink at home because they can't go out to bars, whether they're drowning their sorrows, honestly, whether they think that the that there's not going to be no more beer in the world and they're stocking up. Um, fascinating. I loved the photo that I saw from somewhere in Britain. I'm not sure where it was, but of entirely empty beer shelves apart from the corona. Yes, that was great. What else did you find out? Unemployment. This is a real uh, no-brainer, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the the social cost is obviously the huge one mm. um, in terms of the lockdown, and we probably don't really know yet what that's going to look like. But that unemployment figure of twenty thousand people applying just in the first week is pretty sobering. Yeah, that's going to be a, a a really big figure to watch. If you are stuck home, though, you start looking at screens. You got some numbers around screen time in that first week of lockdown, yeah? Yeah, massive increases in viewing time and also change in viewing patterns. So people are vegging out on the couch. I don't know who these people are because I'm still (laughs) sitting at my desk working. I'm feeling a bit resentful about all these people who are just watching Netflix all day. But yes, people watching more during the day, trying to keep kids occupied with kids' channels and watching movies, binging on series, just trying to keep themselves occupied given that they can't get out and do all the things that they would normally do. It's a weird little time capture you've got there. And I also think it's going to drive statisticians mad in the future in a way that for years they're going to have to go, oh, yeah, but that comparison's not fair because, you know, corona. That's true, that there'll be a whole year kind of missing from any comparative data probably because everyone will just go, no, that's 2020, that's just out because it's hopeless. You don't remember Carlos days, but you will remember the lockdown. You're never going to forget this uh, for a number of reasons. And um, thank you very much for this piece and for chatting to us about all these weird and wonderful numbers. Thanks very much for having me. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Friday, the 24th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Katie Atkin, Nikki McDonald, Alex Liu, Catherine George, John Hartefeld, and Carol Hirschfeld. Thanks for joining us this week. And thanks for joining us during the lockdown alert level four. Move to level three next week. Anzac Day tomorrow, so get out to your front gate at 0600 hours. Holiday on Monday, so we're back Tuesday. In the meantime, you can reach us on our email, viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Gule, gule. Gule.